Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios, it's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. Well, good morning, good morning, a good morning on a beautiful day here in Hamilton, Ohio, our Chatterbox Studios in Greater Cincinnati. Great to have you with us for Off the Bench, presented by our friends at United Dairy Farmers. I'm Tom Brenneman, along with Casey McAllister and Paul Fritschner. Gentlemen, good morning. Good morning, Tom. Tom, how are you today? I'm doing great. Doing great, other than having to go get a windshield fixed. That's a crazy story. Yeah, go to a high school lacrosse game last night. Come back out. Car's got a shattered windshield. This is a whodunit. Mm. Who did it? It's a game of Clue. Well, I can promise you one thing. Uh Uh-oh. I'm no Alvin Bragg when it comes to letting guys <laughs> off the hook. That I can tell you. We shall see. Um, we come your way Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to high noon Eastern time. You can follow us on YouTube. Many already there by the thousands. Join our Chatterbox Sports page. Get in the chat. We'd love to hear from you. We have new people jumping on every single day. We also stream live. Are we still on or not anymore Facebook? Uh, not today. Not today. Okay, but most of the time we are. And if you want to join us in podcast form, just search off the bench with Tom Brenneman. You are dialed in. Well, the Reds played a decisive game in a three-game series against Tampa Bay yesterday afternoon. It did not go well. Not for the offense, not for starter Levi Stout in his Major League debut, and not good for David Bell, who was ejected from a game for the first time this season. You start with the offense, they've now gone 18 innings without a run. As the team was shut out for the second straight day, 8-0 yesterday, the final. The Reds had all the five hits in the game. Levi Stout, the 14th-ranked prospect in the Reds organization, allowed six runs in the first inning of his big league debut, went four innings, allowed seven runs. And Bell got thrown out after a number of pitches were nearly drilling his batters. He got upset about it. And adios. The Reds are back at it tonight. I think tonight is a very interesting series. Four games in Pittsburgh. Now, I know this is a series that's not going to blow up the television ratings. Of course not. But Pittsburgh is playing very well right now. They're 12-7. and They've won three games in a row. And let's face it, the Reds and the Pirates are basically the same. They're basically the same. They're not spending any money. They have a bunch of young guys, right? One team's playing well, and the other team's not. Luke Weaver will face Rowanzi Contreras in game one tonight. First pitch at 635. And I would imagine in Pittsburgh, gentlemen, tickets are available. Did you hear about this strike that's going to occur in Pittsburgh? No. The ticket takers, the concessionaires, right? Ushers. Yep. They're all going on strike. Huh. Just why? Just money or benefits? Well, or it's always everything? money. Always money. Always. When somebody's striking, they're not striking because um, you talked poorly to their child. Well, wow. It's all about the cash. And uh, we'll see if there is anything to that. Mets right-hander, future Hall of Famer Max Scherzer, was ejected in the fourth inning of last night's game. Dodgers and the Mets, after umpires repeatedly were checking his hand and his glove for a sticky substance. Turns out it was rosin, which Scherzer said in no way, shape, or form 
was it there and he was trying to cheat. Scherzer faces an automatic 10-game suspension. We'll see how it plays out. The Oakland Athletics have signed a binding agreement to purchase land right near the Las Vegas Strip, where they intend to construct a major league ballpark, retractable dome, only 35,000 seats. The team hopes to break ground in the next year and move to their new home by 2027. I did not know that that had been approved for sure. Did you guys know that? I, I guess I didn't know it as as surely as this and, and the headline you just read, but I knew that it was almost 100% going to happen. I guess maybe not a guarantee, but I knew that that was likely going to happen. What do we think the name of this new team is? You don't think it's just the You think athletics? they move the athletics? They're the Las Vegas athletics, or do they create a new no, name? No, new name. Well, so you'd think the Las Vegas Aces, that's already a team. How about the Strip? That would go over well. Las Vegas Strip. Oh, yeah. I mean, think of all the things you could do for marketing there. I mean, there are hockey teams, right, that have a, without an S, light, plural, right? Yeah. You've got the Wild and teams like that. Yeah. Why not? The Las Vegas Strip. When I was in Vegas last January, they have, you know, the top golf in Las Vegas? Oh, it's yeah. like a four-tiered. Well, on the top tier, you have to be 21 or up. Because it's like the the girls. It's like a nightclub. Yeah, it's like a nightclub. Right. It's I don't want to say it's like a Hooters. That's a bad comparison. But the girls dress differently on the fourth floor. So we were playing on the set. It was like 10 in the morning. We were, were you on the fourth floor? Uh, we were not. Not at 10 in the morning. We were playing on the set. It's second. Vegas. 10 in the morning is the same yeah, as 10 at night. Yeah, you're right. But there were like, there wasn't that many people. We were, we were on the second floor. It was like 10 in the morning. We were covering from the night before. And we're just, we're just hitting some golf balls. Just trying to get the day going. Our server comes up, and I had told him that I had worked at Topgolf. This was like right after I had stopped working at Topgolf here in Westchester. So our server comes up, and he goes, he? Yeah, it was a he. Nice guy, younger guy. Probably couldn't have been older than 18. And he comes up, and he goes, so where do you work? I said, the one in Ohio, Cincinnati. He goes, you have any model Bay hosts in Cincinnati? I said, what? He goes, you know, like the fourth floor, they, they dress a little differently up there on the fourth floor. The, the girls do. I said, no, we don't have any of that here. In we C should. In Cincinnati. Especially up here in Westchester. That ain't <laughs> happening. That ain't happening. Yeah. Uh, NBA Dylan Brooks says he likes poking the bear. And this got to do some serious trash talking, right? Mm -hmm. He did plenty of that last night. Exchanging words with Lakers star LeBron James in the 103-93 win for Memphis. That series even one game apiece. Brooks said James called him dumb when he picked up a fourth foul in the game. He's in foul trouble the whole game. Uh, and Brooks is one of the best defenders around. And Brooks responded by saying, you can't take me one-on-one, -on -one, never have, never will. So a little intrigue there in that series. The Milwaukee Bucks, without Giannis, rolled over Miami, 138-122. That series at 1-1. The top seed in the West is Denver, and they are having no trouble with Minnesota. Nuggets won game two, 122-113. Denver up two games to none. Now, tonight, Philly's trying to go up 3-0 on Brooklyn. The defending champion Warriors, already down 2-0, come back home for game three against Sacramento. But, of course, Golden State will be without Draymond Green, who is suspended after his ejection in Game 2. And for you late-nighters, Paulie's is right up your alley. Oh, I know. Game 3, big one tonight in L.A. The Suns and the Clippers, they'll collide. 
with a series at 1-1. In the NHL, a lot of people say watching the NFL dur- NHL during playoff time is lights out. It's electric. Well, the best team of all time in the regular season, that would be the Boston Bruins this year, are suddenly in a battle in the opening round of the playoffs. The Florida Panthers drilled the Bruins last night, 6-3. That's a best of seven. They're at 1-1. Other winners last night saw Carolina go up 2-0 on the New York Islanders. The Stars beat the Wild, Oilers over the Kings, both those series at 1-1. And lastly, Joe Mixon pleaded not guilty to a menacing charge in Hamilton County Court. Mixon was later seen at the Bengals' practice facility getting his workouts in. Wouldn't talk about the case. He did say he's looking forward to playing for the Bengals this season. Coming up on the show today, lots of football talk. Matthew Paris from the Washington Times will join us to talk about the Commanders and the sale of that franchise. Your guy, no longer there. My guy, out of town. See ya. Well, I can't wait to hear what Matthew has to say about this because I can't either. I grew up before we moved to Cincinnati. We were living in Virginia Beach, Virginia, and that's Redskins country or was Reds now commanders. And man, I remember crying like a baby when we had a bunch of families get together and watch that 1972 Super Bowl between the Redskins and the Dolphins. And of course, Miami won it capping an undefeated season. Uh, I cried like a baby. But there was a time where that franchise, I mean, they had a waiting list for season ticket holders that the names on a piece of paper would run from here to downtown Cincinnati. And now, half empty half the time, right? Uh, Hal Habib from the Palm Beach Post joins us at 11 o'clock. A lot going on there. He was on hand yesterday. You may have missed it. Tua Tagovailoa said he contemplated retirement. After his concussions, plural, last year. We're looking forward to that conversation. And, of course, at 11.30, the best 30 minutes in television with our main man, Tracy Jones. Our guy. That is our guy. Actually, our guy. He's really Casey's guy. He is. I mean, he really is. Every once in a while, Casey will just look over and be like, ah, Tracy texted me something. We're going out. We're going out to the bars tonight. It's wild how much they hang out outside of work. We don't get those invites, Tom. There's, there's no invite ever. It's no. an exclusive, uh, exclusive club. I just go home. I twiddle my thumbs. Tom goes home. He watches lacrosse. Casey's going out on the town with Call Tracy Jones. Call Safe Light. Calling Safe Light. <laughs> I've called Safe Light many times. Have you? They'll take care of you. I just called them a couple months ago. Get Jackie all squared away. <laughs> Jackie, I mean, she's hanging on. That's like putting earrings on a hog, uh. fixing the windshield. I mean, you got some issues down in the in, in the belly there. You know what I mean? Oh, I know what you mean. How, how's Jackie running, by the way? God, you, I bad. mean, you've been waiting. You know, you were saying that she was right on the brink, trip by trip. That's been three, four months ago now. Well, the check engine light's still on. <laughs> so, I basically I took it to the mechanic, and they said you can get a used car. Or, you know, get, get a new vehicle, which is why I came in here and started talking to you guys about it. And then they said the alternative is we put a little work into it and just basically drive it into the ground. And that's what I'm doing. Yeah, but I mean, are, are, are you – look, we've all had cars throughout our lives at one point or another that are basically where you are. All of us have been there. 
okay? Well, maybe not a lot of your friends at that elitist <laughs> high school where you grew up, but like, you know, car I'm driving around in high school, college, stuff like that. I mean, it was hit or miss, right? I drove a minivan. Well, of course you did. Um, but, so, so in other words, you have prepared yourself mentally for driving down the road by the grace of God. It's not something that all of a sudden happens and, you know, now you're, you know, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. But you're prepared uh, that at any point in time, when you turn the engine on in the parking lot across the street here in downtown Hamilton, yep. driving back home or going to Miami or going wherever you're going, right? That all of a sudden you could just be. Oh, yeah. Sitting there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm hoping that that doesn't happen until at least the fall or maybe next year. But it could happen today. We'll see. It's always an adventure when I get in the car and I'm driving home because the check engine light's on. Reed's been pretty good about helping me out with that. Got that little, that little sensor. Yeah. The, but, yeah. I mean, the chat is blowing up on Paul. Well, Paul's, they've got you figured out. Big lead Paul. Paul they Tesla. said, uh, Everett says, yeah. you would think Paul would be driving a Beamer, an Audi, or a Volkswagen. <laughs> Sir Boy Wonder says, Paul screams Tesla. And the player formerly known as Mouse Cop says, BLP. That would be Big League Paul, for those of you new to the program. Only drives Benzes. Big League Paul, you yeah. got a reputation to uphold here, Paulie. I know. We'll see what the next car is. Hopefully, it's not a clunker. Well, no, your next one is not going to be a clunker because we got people who are willing to help you out. That's so that's true. not going to happen. That's true. We will make sure. Very true. Um, okay, let's talk about the Reds real quick. I we were talking before the show, and I'm not going to get into the whole leap by stout. I mean, for crying out loud, it's a kid's first major league game. You know, he's nervous. I mean, think about – I often used to think about when guys were making their major league debut, and I, and I did a lot of games, I mean hundreds of games, where guys were making their major league debut, and frequently um, whoever, you know, uh, I was broadcasting for, we would try to find out from a young man if his mom and dad were going to be there or his wife or whatever it might be, um, and we would always find him in the stands, and it was, it was just fascinating to me. It used to hit me all the time about – you know, you're growing up and, you know, you're thinking about all the, the car rides. Uh, in some cases, it could be, you know, 10 minutes down the street where you grow up playing baseball. It could be, you know, a dozen hours away if you're playing in some tournament or some showcase event, college, whatever it might be. Um, and to think what the emotion must be like when you're told I'm, you're going to the big leagues, and now, all of a sudden, here comes that day. Um, I think it probably made it better for him that it was a day game and a night game just for nerve's sake. That didn't pan out as far as execution goes. Uh, but, I, you know, you always give the guys a lot of rope there. And so Stout went out very first inning. What would you say, third or fourth pitch, home run? Third, third pitch, I think. Okay. Third well, pitch. he gives up six runs in the first inning. And, look, now he's got that behind him. And we'll see – uh, what his coming starts because I have a feeling they're gonna they're gonna stay with him for a while. Uh, but but I want to get to this pirate series because look, going into the season, if you're a Reds fan, if you're a Pirates fan, right, you, your hopes are not high for contending. I mean, stranger things have happened, but you're looking at your team on paper compared to other teams, and you're like, eh, this doesn't look good. 
Neither team is spending any money on payroll. Nothing. Pirates haven't forever. The Reds in certain seasons have, but not this year. Uh, they're playing a bunch of young guys. Uh, they're trying to, you know, build their minor league system so they can be competitive with young players. But here you have two teams that are a couple of weeks into the season. The Reds have not played badly. They've been okay. I mean, they haven't been average because they're five games under 500. But their schedule's been tough. They've been okay. They've been exciting to watch. Uh, their four and five spots in the rotation have been brutal. They're addressing that to see if they can't get it better. But here you have the Pirates who are far exceeding expectations at 12 and 7 on the year. They just steamrolled Colorado out in Denver uh, the last three days. So, you know, when the Reds are going into these series against the Tampa Bays and coming up next week, the Rangers and, you know, the Atlanta Braves and teams like that, you're going into the series thinking, hey, just don't get swept, right? If you play them three, just don't get swept. The Pirates, traditionally, you're thinking, all right, this is a team we should beat. And if the Reds want to get to a, a situation where they're not losing 95, 97, 100 games, this is the kind of series, and there are others to follow, where you've got to go in and play well. There's not a big home field advantage there in Pittsburgh. Nobody's going to the games kind of like here. And so, you know, these are the series where, from a leadership standpoint from David Bell and the coaches and the players themselves, I think you've got to find a way. You guys tell me if you agree. This is a series you've got to go in and, and really come out and try and take it to a team that basically is you, but they're playing better than you. Well, yeah, and then you look at the rest of the schedule here for the Reds after that, the Pirates, then the Rangers come into town, but you have the Athletics after that. The Rangers are playing pretty well to start this season. Then you have the Padres, White Sox, Mets. I mean, you're talking about a, you're, you're talking about a situation here with the Reds where over the next – 10 games, you have decent opportunities for wins between the Pirates and the A's. Then maybe you take one or two from the Rangers. I mean, this is this is a, a pretty important, I would say, relative to if you care about their record. Then th these next 10 games, they, they could tell you something about this team, some of these younger guys, how much they grew up in a stretch like this. I think you're right, Tom. And, and you go to Pittsburgh, you haven't had a day off in a while. I mean, think about that. It, Besides the, the weather, right, they didn't play on Wednesday the 5th. But other than that, they haven't had a scheduled day off here in this month. So I know it. you start to get through the month, you get worn down, you feel like your arm's getting tired, you're getting into the monotony of the season already, about 20 games in. And now all of a sudden you got to play a team that you should beat or you should at least split with at the worst. Yeah, at the worst, a four-game series. Yeah. yeah. And I was just looking at how well they've been doing. A lot of it has just been their batting. Their offense has been pretty good. Yep. Um, if you look at their pitching, their ERA is 13th, but their whip is 23rd. Um, I don't know. I think if you look at who they played as of late, the Cardinals have been on a downswing. Yes, they have. Colorado's not that great. And they were in a very friendly hitting area in Colorado, right? That's that's a very batter-friendly... That's right, Casey. So, I mean... Casey. Casey, boning up. I'm just saying that maybe it's better to maybe look at how we played them at the beginning of the season and not take a whole lot of... Um, 
from what they've done as of late. I think we, we match up just enough to where we can at least win the series from them. We got a split though, if if not that. I mean, well, if I'm not if mistaken, then... but when the Reds beat them earlier this year, the first time they beat them, yeah. I think that ended an eight or a nine game losing streak the Reds had against the Pirates. I'm pretty sure that's right, dating back to last year. Yeah, because the Reds lost on opening day and then won the next two. Yes. So. Uh, Tom, there are several members of the Chatterbox chat that are going to Pittsburgh yes. for this series. And I think uh, Brian B. brings up a great point. I'll put you on the spot here. I'm sure you've seen the, the comment already. I'll put you on the spot here for this one. But going forward, maybe we can prepare it a little more. Um, but since he asked, I'll just ask you. Any recommendations on food in Pittsburgh? Any any restaurants that jump off the top? You know, head? I wish I could remember. And, and, and you'll, you'll, you'll know the location. Uh, the Reds Team Hotel is right by there. There's this big, huge square uh, in downtown Pittsburgh. Um, where, you know, uh, you'll see a lot of kids running around out there and, 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 and in this big square, there are a number of restaurants there. It's a big social gathering place. A lot of families and kids during the day on the weekends. And obviously you'll be there on the weekend if you're going, um, if the weather's good. Um, and they, they, they've got some good Italian restaurants there. I, I'm drawing a blank, but, um, they've got some good Italian restaurants here in Pittsburgh. And of course they're known, um, for pierogies. Monty Brothers. Yes. Have you ever had that? I've not. Okay. Never been to Pittsburgh. I've driven through it coming over from uh, D.C. a couple of times. We've, we've gone north and kind of been around the city, but I've never actually been. Tell you what, Pittsburgh is, Pittsburgh is a lot like Cincinnati. Uh, I think Cincinnati overall has a much more vibrant uh, downtown uh, with over the Rhine and that kind of thing. But Pittsburgh, you know, just geographically, you know, topography, it's, it's, it's exactly like Cincinnati. I mean, if you're coming in from the airport, you know, you go through this tunnel and then all of a sudden, you know, in, into a mountain and it, this tunnel cuts right through and then bam, there's a city and three rivers. The confluence is the word. Three rivers combining there, the Ohio, the Monongahela and the Allegheny rivers come riding right in there forming one and uh it's a beautiful looking city it really is uh and it gets a bad rap from people who have not been there uh it was a dump uh about eh, 10 12 years ago and now they've really done a nice job down there um you'll have a nice time and believe me you'll be able to stretch out a little bit if you're going to the games at pnc park <laughs> beautiful ballpark the thing I love about it, people used to ask me these questions all the time. They still do from time to time. But now that I'm a has-been and want to be. But they, they uh, people would always ask me, you know, what's your favorite ballpark? Well, if you could just drop me off somewhere without all the headaches of getting in, right? It would be Dodger Stadium. But, you know, the team stays an hour bus ride away with traffic. 45, 50 minutes an hour. So, you know, the bus ride over after the game, wait around an hour after the game, get on the bus, takes you 45 minutes, 50 minutes to get back to the hotel. It's just a pain in the tail. But Pittsburgh was always great because you can walk to the ballpark if you're staying downtown. You just walk right across the river. There are people everywhere. You feel safe. 
You can walk right across the river, go to the ballpark. Maybe you're staying on the same side. They have like four or five very affordable hotels that they built right next to the ballpark. You know, like Embassy Suites and stuff like that. Um, where you can walk out the door of the ballpark and walk right into your hotel. And they got a bunch of great bars around there. And um, so, you know, I give Pittsburgh uh, relatively high marks. I think it's an easy place to go watch baseball without a bunch of headaches. Right? Everybody wants to go to Wrigley. But, man, you know, there's some headaches. Getting there, getting home, or your hotel, or whatever it might be. Um, St. Louis used to be like that. But now that city is so ravaged in crime that the teams don't even stay downtown. And they have four or five very nice hotels right outside that ballpark. But teams through the years have said, no how, no way. America's most dangerous city, St. Louis, the last like seven, eight years running. So now the teams are staying. You may as well be like you're in Los Angeles. Doesn't take as long to get there. But they're all staying in the suburbs. It'd be like teams coming to play the Reds and staying up in Mason. You imagine that? That's hard to imagine. Yeah. And I think Pittsburgh, the other thing they have, the one thing they do have that is better than Cincinnati, I will say this, as far as their downtown goes, is they have a lot more retail in downtown Pittsburgh. So if you like shopping, uh, they have found a way to keep some retail uh, downtown, which we have not in um, Cincinnati. Uh, So coming up in about four minutes, we got Matt Paris from the Washington Times to talk about Paul's Washington Commanders. Yeah. Are you still a fan of the Commanders? Are you serious? No, I mean, mean, are you a big fan of the Commanders? Did you grow up a big fan? I've never, no, I I genuinely hated Dan Snyder so much that I never once was, I've never in my life been even remotely a Commanders fan. No. It was always the Bengals, but the problem again, like I've always said, the problem with the Bengals was I could never watch the games. I saw two games a year. It was when the Ravens came to town. So, had to follow them from afar. But, Commanders. Commanders, Casey, what do you think? No, no chance. Uh, I don't know. I I hope that maybe this brings stability to the franchise because you were talking about it before, and there's a lot of history with Commanders. Yes, there is. Formerly the Redskins. It was arguably the best franchise in the NFL. The best for a solid 30, 40 years under Jack Kent Cook. Yeah, and it just doesn't get talked about at all. Like, when you you talk about NFL history – People just completely forget about their their stint when they were dominant. I mean, they had what four, five Super Bowls. Yep. And man, great teams. Joe Gibbs. Joe Gibbs. That's yeah. a leader of men. That's a real leader of men, Joe Gibbs. Yeah, and I, I'm just hoping that maybe this will maybe get him back in a spot where they they their fans deserve to be. You know, they've been through. I would say, like, the worst the, – maybe the second worst because the Browns are probably the worst, but the, the, the second worst out of any professional sporting team that I, that I know of to go through a just total – Total incompetence. Total incompetence. Yeah, miserable millennium. Like, ever since 2000. I, I don't know about the 90s. I didn't 
probably since then too. But no, nineties. No, nineties. Right. They won a Super Bowl in yep. ninety two yep. or ninety three. Yeah, they were all right. Yeah. So just this millennium has been horrific for them. Well, so. it's just since Dan Snyder's taken over. But quite honestly, it's like you just draw a parallel between when Dan Snyder bought the team and the success of the team, and it's gone squarely downhill. You're right. They've done retread quarterbacks. They got Donovan McNabb. Then RG3 got hurt because they didn't want to invest in a field. Joe Burrow tears his ACL on that field. I mean, it's been <laughs> like that. The, the ownership, the field, the stadium. They build the stadium out in Maryland, not even close to the city. Yeah, I mean, you talk about a place that it's just you say to yourself, and I'm sure it had to do with the price of land and all that kind of thing. But golly day, you talk about a place hard to get to now. Oh, where the yeah. where they play? FedEx, FedEx Field. Field. It's awful. It's brutal. I mean, it's just brutal. They used to be right there in D.C., RFK okay. Stadium. The stands would be moving, right? Did you ever from, do a game there? From, oh, yeah, many games. I, I did a game there where, um, where Boomer Esiason, as an Arizona Cardinal, um, I believe it was a single-game record at the time, threw for like 535 yards or something. It was insane. Yeah. That place was rocking back in the... Oh, I mean, man. We used to go in there. You knew. I've done a lot of games in that place. Baseball and football. And, um, yeah, but, but, man, when the Redskins were good and they had it going on, that was a great franchise. Is Matt there? He's getting set up. Okay. That was the... Uh, that was where the Nationals played before they built the stadium in 2008. They played there, so you'd always have to go over to RFK, and it was not a great baseball viewing venue. It was fine. But it was cool. It was cool, yeah. I enjoyed it. I'm glad it's not like I did the home. first game there when they moved back. You did the first game at yeah. RFK? When they came back. Yes. Yeah, in, in 2005. Yeah. Yep. Arizona Diamondbacks were in town. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, did that game. Uh, it was cool. We had a lot of fun with the uh, the mascot and all that kind of stuff, and it was uh, it was good stuff. Didn't George Bush throw out the first pitch of that game? He might have. He might have. I don't. I don't remember. I always remember. I, I was uh, fortunate enough to be there in the World Series when George Bush threw out the first pitch in 2001. It was the most electrifying single moment that I've ever been a part of in sports. 9/11 had just occurred. We're in New York. Throws out the first pitch. The Eagle is soaring through the round of stadium. Crowd's going crazy. It was unbelievable. All right. Let's get into formerly known as the Washington Redskins. I still like saying that. But now they're the Washington Commanders. And kind enough to join us from the Washington Times. Covers the team regularly. Matt Paris. Matthew, how are you, young man? Thanks for the time today. How's everything there? Hey, it's good. Uh, Ron Rivera and Martin Mayhew were talking later today for pre-draft press conference, so it should be uh, a little bit eventful. All right. Well, you, you've had lots of eventful moments uh, in the last number of years there uh, covering the Commanders. But let's start with the most recent and by far the biggest news in the NFL, and that would be the sale of the franchise. Um, you, you know, look, it's easy for us to sit here in Cincinnati or anywhere else and talk about Daniel Snyder and uh, this and that and everything else. Um, I, I have to believe the, uh, the, the reception to this news has been extraordinarily positive. Is that safe to say? Yeah, I mean, the, the Nats won a world title in 2019. The Caps won a title in 2018. You know, there's no technically no parade quite yet, but uh, people are just as excited, I think, about that. 
as they are about, uh, you know, teams winning a championship. At the end of the day, now look, you, you know, you can have the investigations uh, that have gone on uh, and whether it be sexual harassment, any number of things. I don't want to get into that. But at the end of the day, um, what did Daniel Snyder do or have a part in doing that led to a lack of success on the field? Because I was always struck that Snyder wasn't a guy that was afraid to spend money and try to make the team better. Well, very early on in his tenure, he made a mistake of trying to influence what quarterbacks to play. You know, I think they had Brad Johnson on the roster and he wanted Jeff George to play. That was a mistake. Um, he came in and fired uh, Charlie Casserly right away, who had built up that roster. 99 was maybe their best team he's had in, in um, his time over the 24 seasons. But, you know, he's he just been very influential. It's not really a positive culture. You know, so many coaches talk about that, but if, if the guy at the top isn't setting that, I do think that kind of trickles down. Um, and then, you know, they just missed on a lot of big moves. Like you look at 2019, uh, then taking Dwayne Haskins in the first round, that's supposed to be the quarterback of the future. Well, that was a very Dan Snyder-driven pick, and it set them back uh, the next few years. All right. Um, I'm not so sure there's a guy that I've ever met in the NFL, in life in general for that matter, and tell me if you agree with this, but through all the chaos that has gone on around his team and the franchise – I can't think of a better guy or a guy that I would want more to try and at least keep the ship from sinking than Ron Rivera. Um, your impressions of him. I, I think the world of the guy, uh, I've been around him now for a couple of years, but but is that a safe statement that he's that kind of guy and has been? Yeah, yeah, the, totally. I mean, it's hard to imagine where this franchise would be without him. I think we lost his uh, internet there for a second. He might be getting a call. What's that? Uh, that's that's on his laptop, so I'm not sure if we just lost him. Okay, we'll see if we can get it back. You have his email, right? Yep. Okay, we'll see if we can get him back. Um, yeah, we got lots to get into with him about uh, Rivera, about the quarterback situation, which we're going to get to here in a second because, you know, they they tried all kinds of guys back there, including last year was a revolving door around there. <laughs> And, uh, and now they're going to go with, they brought in Jacoby Brissett. I'm not so sure if they brought him in to be a starter or whether they just committed to Sam Howell, the kid out of North Carolina. We've got uh, Matthew back. Uh, Matthew, you were starting to say about um, Ron Rivera, your thoughts on him and, and how he's tried to, you know, kind of hold it all together. Yeah, I mean, he's dealt with so much in Washington from his personal cancer battle to kind of one scandal after a next. And, you know, Ron Rivera is very military driven. He comes from a military family and he's kind of tried to instill some of those values into Washington. You know, they haven't been the most successful team on the field, but they have generally stayed together as a locker room. They have a lot of great guys in that locker room. And I think that's kind of a reflection of what Rivera looks for. And in terms of kind of the culture that he's tried to set there, I do think it is pretty strong. Um, the quarterback. We were talking about that uh, after we lost you for a second. Is Sam Howell going to be the guy? I mean, is he the guy? They brought in Brissett, who had a pretty decent year in Cleveland. But is Howell the guy they're committing to to be the starter? Yeah, they haven't committed to quite yet. They're, they call him QB1. He's going to get every chance in OTAs. But basically kind of what they mean by that is unless Sam Howell blows it in training camp, unless he 
struggles in the preseason pretty uh, mightily, you know, this he's going to get every chance to be the full-time starter. I think they would like him to outright win, win the job. And, uh, you know, it, it is a little bit of a risk because he was a fifth-round pick last year. But, uh, you know, he did start uh, that one game at the season finale and impressed. What was it about Hal that, 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 um, that led to him not being drafted until the fifth round? Because, you know, in North Carolina, this guy put up some pretty big numbers. He did – I mean, he, he had some incredible games down there on a so-so team. Why did he last until the fifth round, do you think? Yeah, well, one, it was a weak quarterback draft. I don't think that helped. Um, you know, none of those got, none of those teams really felt like they needed a quarterback from that particular draft. Uh, if he had come out maybe a year or two earlier, he would have probably gone a lot, a lot higher. You know, Washington actually had a higher grade on him. Now, of course, it doesn't really matter what pre-grade draft you have. It's where you take him. But uh, they were thrilled to get him in the fifth round. They thought it was an absolute steal. And I guess they'll try and prove that out, whether that's true over this coming season, but, you know, they couldn't have been happier to land him, even though they brought in Carson Wentz uh, to be their starter, and that didn't work out. Um, as far as, as skill position players, I mean, he's got guys that can make plays, starting with a kid uh, you know, went to school up the road here and um, Terry McLaurin. I mean, they, they've got some nice pieces there. Is the question the offensive line? Yes. Yeah, I mean, for next week's draft, that's kind of – the position that everyone's circling for maybe probably where they'll go in the first round. They've already tried to remodel at this offseason by signing uh, former Kansas City Chiefs right tackle Andrew Wiley. They brought in uh, Nick Gates, the center from the Giants. So, you know, this was a line that was actually really strong in 2021. They were one of the best lines in football, and they regressed heavily last year. They lost some key pieces like Brandon Sheriff, and they were unable to replace him adequately anyway. And so, you know, they're looking to kind of overhaul it uh, this offseason, and they hope the offense in general will be better because they got Eric Bieniemy uh, as their offensive coordinator. Yeah, I wanted to, to ask you about him a little bit, and I'm sure you've had a chance to talk to him a couple of times since he got the job. Um, do you think for Bieniemy, and I'm not asking you to get Freudian here and try to get in a guy's mind, but do, do you think that he he needed to get out of the shadow of Andy Reid and now kind of be his quote-unquote own man in D.C. where he really, truly will be running the offense? Yeah, I, I do. I, I, I think that. I mean, for reasons fairly or unfairly, he was labeled in Andy Reid's shadow uh, there. You know, Ron Rivera is really giving him the tools to, um, you know, come in and, and call plays and dictate the offense and kind of run his own system. Now, I think that system will look a lot like what Kansas City had under Andy Reid. They're going to go with that West Coast type of style. But, you know, this is Eric Bieniemy's chance to kind of prove to the other NFL teams that, you know, he can competently run uh, one side of the ball or, you know, kind of be a leaders of men. If you watched uh, the second of that, his opening press conference, that sounded much more like a head coaching press conference than it did one for an offensive coordinator. So he's been wanting this moment for a while, I think, and now he's going to get his opportunity to do so. All right, on the defensive side of the ball, again, there are some good players over there, uh, especially along that defensive line. Uh, they, they've got some difference makers as far as players are concerned there. What, what, what are the overall strengths and weaknesses and or needs uh, of the defense going into the draft? Yeah, the, the, the strengths are at the defensive line, as you 
uh, re-signed Toronto pretty big deal this offseason. They already have contact under a long-term uh, contract. Those are their two defensive tackles on the edge. They have Montez Sweat and Chase Young. Uh, really, their weaknesses where they need to kind of add uh, help are cornerback. I think that's also a strong possibility in the first round. They don't really have that kind of true lockdown outside corner on the roster. And then a linebacker that could use some help as well because Jamin Davis is really their only solid kind of piece uh, up in the middle. But they, they kind of want that Mike linebacker to call plays. Davis is a little bit more effective when he's an outside kind of roamer. So, you know, they're looking for someone to come in, and uh, we'll see how the draft shakes out. But this overall, a very strong group, a much more of a return to form in 2022 uh, after a disappointing letdown in 21. Last question. Um, you know, uh, this is a tough division. I mean, for a long time, uh, that NFC East was not very good. Now, all of a sudden, you get Philadelphia, goes to the Super Bowl. Dallas won more than 10 games this season. Dallas is Dallas, that whole kind of thing. Giants, of course, went to the playoffs. What do you think is a realistic expectation for the Commanders this season? You know, they're probably where they've been, and that's 10, 8, 9, and 8. You know, they're good at, I know the expectation that the roster that's ready to win now, they expect to be if they don't make the playoffs with the ownership change. It's very easy to see Ron Rivera losing his job, but – you know, th- this is a group that has to win now. Whether they're set up to do that and whether they can, I think is going to a lot come down to their quarterback situation. Whether Sam Howell can be that guy. Yeah, I think you're right. All right, Matthew, we cannot thank you enough for your time today. Have a great weekend. Yeah, thank you. And sorry for the time. Oh, no problem. No problem. Matthew Paris, kind enough to join us from the Washington Times. He covers the Commanders. You know, I, I was curious about that whole Sam Howell thing. Did you guys watch much of him in North Carolina? A little bit. I mean, this guy's slinging the ball, you know, 300, oh, yeah. 350, 400 yards, whole nine yards. A lot of talk about him coming out of the draft. Uh, I was I was stunned that he lasted until the fifth round. Casey, did you watch him much? Because you're, you're a big guy that gets into draft stuff. Yeah, um, I did not. I did not, like, study deep film on him. I do know that uh, I thought – it was interesting when they when they did decide to take him, um, you know, that he wasn't picked up later because he had a really, really good season one year, and then he had a down season um, at North Carolina. Um, I think they actually, now I think about it, they picked someone from North Carolina the year before that at receiver. I can't remember the kid's name. Yeah, you're right. But they somewhat reunited the two together, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I'm not super high on Sam Howe. I think they will eventually get a quarterback, but there just wasn't a whole lot of, like, there wasn't a whole lot last year to really gauge a, a good, uh, you know. Yeah. Right. You know, he only played one game, started, they did win the game, incidentally. I mean, I, you know, to me, a lot of guys don't let I me, mean, I, I'm a guy, and many of you know watching this show, I I don't get wrapped up in a bunch of numbers. I just want to know, did you win the game or lose the game? And the only start that the guy made, he threw one touchdown, one pick, uh, right around 58%. He didn't throw it a lot. They were running it a lot, but he won the game. The thing I do like about him is that uh, very high completion percentage, Mark, his touchdown-to-interception ratio in college 
was 92-23. to 23. So, you know, that's really good. Uh, and he was a three-year starter. We've had Brian Billick on this program before and, and talked a lot about, um, you know, I go back to Achilles Smith. And Brian Billick has said, and it's, it's a chapter in one of his books that he wrote, that he thought Achilles Smith was going to be a great pro. He had all the tools, big, strong, fast, big arm, whole nine yards. And then, of course, he turned out to be a, a major disappointment as a first-round pick right here for the Bengals. And, and, and as Brian was writing that book, you know, he, he got into the, the whole thing about only having one year as a starter. And let's face it. Okay, I don't care what conference you're in. Now, some are different than others, for sure. But, you know, when you're playing where Smith played at Oregon, you might have one tough out-of-conference game, maybe. The only team that doesn't play anybody in the preseason is Michigan. I don't mean to digress, but has anybody seen their schedule this year out of conference? Again? It is beyond description how pitiful it is. So now a Michigan fan. fan would say, hey, obviously doesn't mean anything because we're kicking the Buckeyes' tail the last two years. And you can't argue with that. I digress there for a minute. Easy shot at Michigan. Um, but, you know, one year as a starter, you, you, you maybe have one out-of-conference game. You have three patsies, right? Then you get in the Pac-12 in a case for Smith. And, you know, you got a couple of tough games. You got a lot of, right? And it's your only year. How, although the ACC is not the greatest conference in the world, three-year starter, put up big-time numbers. I mean, you look at his seasons. And this is the stuff, and Brian Billick pointed out in this book, this is the one thing of any lesson that he learned. It was a lesson that no one has any idea what the hell is going to happen when you draft a quarterback in the top eight, ten picks in the draft or first round in the draft. Are there can't misses? John Elway, Joe Burrow, guys like that? Yes, there are. Are there guys that first round picks? You think they're going to be good. They turn out to be good. Herbert, guys like that. Flyer on guys like Josh Allen, right? Didn't play big time, huge D1. I mean, huge D1 football, taking a flyer. But how, you know, in a major conference, 38 touchdowns, seven picks. 30 touchdowns, seven picks. 24 touchdowns, nine picks. 64% completion percentage. This is what I wonder, Casey, okay, about your guy, Anthony Richardson. Yeah. All right? Now, you look at the top four guys, quarterbacks in the draft this year, that most feel are the top four. And I'm going to leave Hooker out of the mix for a minute, okay? You got Stroud, Young, Richardson, Levis, right? Okay. If you look at the greatest weakness – for each of those quarterbacks, all right? So, Stroud, people wonder, can he handle the pressure? There have been games where pressure's coming. How does he handle it, okay? Because if you give him time, nobody's better, right? Bryce Young, everybody asks about being small, okay? He's not very tall. He's, he's not very heavy. That's the big question with him. Levis is he forced his stuff a lot. 
And maybe that's because he plays in Kentucky and he's playing against better teams in the SEC, and he takes a lot of big hits. I mean, he exposes himself to taking monster hits. Richardson, the question is accuracy. He is barely better than a 50% passer at the college level, right? Right. I read a thing the other day. He was, had the highest completion percentage in the country last year of balls thrown behind the line of scrimmage. So you're factoring those passes where it's a bubble screen. You know, they'll dump it off to a guy and off they go, right? An athlete, right? Right. So you're factoring in those huge completion percentage numbers to his overall completion percentage numbers, which are barely over 50%. Of those four question marks, which one would concern you guys the most if you were drafting them? So Young, it's his size. Stroud, it's can he handle the pressure? Levis, taking big hits and forcing the ball, a lot of picks, or lack of accuracy. Which one of those four scares you the most, if you were drafted? Anthony Richardson, in my mind. I'm with you all the way. Anthony How about Richardson? you? Um, Rank them. I'd go scared-wise, scared I'll go Richardson, then Levis, then Stroud, then Bryce Young. You're not worried about his size? I don't think so. He's been small his whole life. Yeah. He's been pretty good. You adapt to it. Yeah. I mean, I think all of those are legitimate concerns and dings on their profiles, right? Um, luckily, you know, we we got one of the best prospects to come out in the last, you know. No question. Yeah, no doubt. No, no, no doubt. Um, I would say Stroud is the least concerned for me. Um because I think he proved enough in the, the semi-championship game where it was, you know, all or nothing sort of territory that he could perform under yes, pressure. Yes, that was a big game for him. Yeah. Um, and he was phenomenal. I think Young is my second least concerned. I know I'm kind of going backwards from the most concerned to least concerned here. But Young is my second. Um, size thing does matter to me, but it just depends on where he goes, right? Third is probably Richardson. Fourth is Levis. Because you already know going in with Richardson that he was going to be a project anyways. You already knew that his accuracy was an issue. You have all the, the, the raw talent there. It's more about getting him to a point where, you know, he only had one year as a starter at, at Florida. And I think that does hurt some of these guys that have uber amounts of talent like Richardson. Um, and I think it takes a special case, just like with Josh Allen, who had very similar, similar situation where he was just, you know, very inaccurate, but had the strong arm yep. and the, all the physiques and whatnot. He goes to one of the best quarterback minds right now in the NFL, Brian Dable who's turned Danny Dimes into a at least an average quarterback and, you know, becomes one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. So I think if you were to get Richardson in a situation where, you know, he has one of the greater offensive quarterbacks' minds in the NFL, I think he'll do really well. But, you know, that's a tall, tall task. Levis, to me, when you're forcing stuff, it's really – 
what it reminds me of is when, well, uh, Winston. Um, Jameis Winston. Jameis Winston. And I sometimes people just don't get over that. They don't get over the, the turnover bug. And you're already turning it over in college. I don't know. Not, I'm not the biggest fan of that, but I know that there's a lot of uh, product there at uh, UK that didn't really do them any favors. Well, either. there's no doubt about that. I mean, they, they, they had a nice year, and they're building a nice program down there, but they're still not running with the big dogs, uh, you know. Yeah, they, I mean, they, but they're building it up. I give them up. I give it up to Kentucky. I think they're doing a really nice job with their football program. But the bottom line is you cannot have a guy – who does not take care of the football. You can't have a guy that's going to turn it over. Right. And, and Levis turned it over a lot. But but I, I, I'm i with Paul on this one. Uh, the accuracy thing would really concern me because you can have all the best coaches in the world. You can have all the best skill position players in the world. But if a guy's going on a nine-yard slant or if a guy's going on an out and you got to drop it right over a defender like we see Burrow and Mahomes and these guys do it all the time, uh, the guy who has low completion percentage can't make – he can make those throws. He doesn't make those throws. All right, before we start talking at length about the Miami Dolphins with Hal Habib from the uh, Palm Beach Post, Ham and Eggers, your time to shine. And Mr. President, please take it away. Lovely. It's that type of the show, the Ham and Eggers. These guys are great. Trust me, I would know. I introduce all the best segments. The Bengals Report brought to you by Encore Technologies. Encore Technologies provides IT solutions for a data center world with a suite of services from mobile computing to desktop to data center, supporting both centralized and work-from-home computing models to improve efficiency and productivity. Visit Encore.tech. The path to innovation begins here. That was a 6 out of 10 effort on my part on memorizing the ad. But we're getting there. There is also a new premium alkaline water out. It's Pawnee. It's right in front of us. Pawnee water. We're, we got it here on the desk every day. Got a box of it next to us. Tastes great. And it's made right here. Hamilton, Ohio. Right downtown. Right across the street from us. It uses natural limestone filtration. Unlike the artificial processing that many other brands use. The result is a healthy alkaline water that is also the best tasting water in the world. Visit their website at pawneywater.com. That is P-A-H-H-N-I water.com. P-A-H-H-N-I water.com to see where you can buy this great tasting water. Bet with Betfred, drink Pawnee water, get your coffee from UDF, and get your technology solutions from Encore.tech. So just to kind of wrap a little bow on the, the, the quarterbacks in this draft class, I'm, I'm seeing Richard... States in the chat, right? I, I haven't seen this guy in our in our chat, but I agree with him. I think the hype for Levis and Richardson is way overblown for a top ten pick. You're you're having two projects there, and maybe it's just because you know if you're gonna pick a quarterback, you got to pick your guy, right? You got to go up and get get him. Um, but if it were me, I would just let the guy fall. You know, if I was organization that wasn't necessarily just a quarterback away you know you got to get fill out the rest of the roster just let him fall and if he ends up falling to you then yeah you take your guy but 
if not, then, you know, I'm, I'm looking at, like, the, the Tampa Bays of the world or any of the other teams that might need a quarterback, like the Ravens might need a quarterback here in the future, <laughs> um, which I know we're not really talking about that. We, we might need to. They, they could be a sneaky, dark horse team to do something about that. But anyways, I'm going to get Hal ready here, Tom. Sounds good. Uh, Hal has been around a long time. Uh, he was at the Miami Herald uh, for nearly 20 years and then became the uh, editor, sports editor over there at the uh, Palm Beach Post. has been covering football for a long, long time. So we are uh, extremely grateful to have uh, Hal with us here today. Hal, good morning. I imagine, uh, you know, I mean, we're lucky this time of year to get some beautiful sunshine on these spring days. You know, we were 80 four days ago, dropped down to 39, now back up to 80. I'd imagine you guys don't have to worry about that much down in your neck of the woods. Uh, it was actually pretty chilly, like, yesterday morning. I think it was, like, 68. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's really nice, Hal. That's really, really nice. <laughs> hey, uh, thanks for taking the time to be with us. There is a lot going on with this Miami Dolphins franchise. Let's start with... You know, we like to ask the questions about, you know, where you been, where are you now, where are you going? Um, last year, uh, they start off looking like one of the best teams in the NFL. Then all of a sudden, you know, the whole Tua thing begins, concussion, concussion, uh, and, you know, ultimately leading to, uh, you know, a, a disappointing ending, especially um, uh, considering the start. Um you look at last season, and, and what do you take away positive and what do you take away negative? Uh, the positive, I would say, is, you know, I look at it as, as more or less a transition year for Mike McDaniel to come in, get his feet wet first year as a head coach, get his system in, and um, then see what happens from there. And, you know, obviously they brought in Tyreek Hill, a lot of buzz over that. Paired him with Jalen Waddle on the outside. And a lot of teams had an awful lot of trouble with contending with those two guys. So all that was going very well. But, you know, when you look at the negative side, it was an incredibly streaky team. You know, win three, lose five. Win three, lose five more. You know, that kind of thing back and forth. And I'm sure that the Dolphins are going to focus on trying to be a lot more consistent in 2023. Uh, one of the things they did that's, I think, very important to sort of uh, right the ship uh, is bringing in Vic Fangio as their new defensive coordinator. Well, Fangio is one of the great defensive minds and one of the great defensive coaches um, that has ever been around uh, in the history of the National Football League. I, 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 we'll circle back to him in a second, but you were there every day. You know, here in Cincinnati or, or, or somewhere else, everybody had an opinion about the way the franchise and the way the coach handled Tua, uh, the whole nine yards, and especially coming in here to Cincinnati after he had wobbled around the week prior before the team came in for that Thursday night game. He starts here. Uh, he gets concussed here uh, in Cincinnati during that game. Um, but from where you sat, how, well, what was your impression of the way the team handled that whole thing with Tua? Well, you know, they they came out after the Buffalo game and said that um, the reason he was wobbly when he got up uh, after that one hit 
was a back injury, not a concussion. I'm of the opinion, and I don't, I never saw any MRIs or anything, but I think a lot of people down here think that yes, Tua did have a concussion in that game. Certainly all the visual evidence points to that. Uh, and then to come back and play four days later, and there was no doubt that he had a concussion in the Bengals game. You know, it, it does call into question whether he should have been out there to begin with, that's for sure. Uh, I think after that, they were ultra conservative as they should be, as any team should be mm -hmm. with a concussion, really. And uh, I think we're, you know, in the NFL league-wide, I think they're learning more and more about what concussions are and being more cautious. Part of it is, hey, let's be honest, they don't want to get sued, right? Um, so, you know, they they made sure that Tua saw some several specialists as the season wore on. You know, he, he definitely had a concussion on Christmas against the Packers. That was one that Tua didn't really recognize, but Mike McDaniel did the next day. And that triggered a whole set of uh, trips to see specialists where Tua eventually uh, was told that with the proper amount of rest, he wasn't susceptible to further concussions more than any other player would be. Um, yesterday, you were on hand uh, when Tua addressed some of these things uh, as far as, you know, what happened last year, uh, what he is doing and has done during this offseason to try and prevent, uh, as best he can, of course, uh, things like that from happening again. What did you learn from him yesterday? Well, the, the headline uh, quote from him came when he was asked, did you ever consider retirement? And he said, yes. Uh, I didn't really expect him to say that, but you know, that's just the truth. And he sat down with his wife, he sat down with his parents, his entire family. Uh, he obviously sat down with doctors and was reassured that he could continue playing. He's only 25. He said, you know, his age came into play. It's very rare, obviously, that anyone that young retires from football. And the third element of it was uh, he's got a newborn son and he wants to play long enough where his son can watch him play football and know what daddy does for a living. Uh, he's also what? Is it is jiu-jitsu, something like that he's been doing to learn how to <laughs> fall better? Is that accurate? That is. Well, it's funny you ask because at the very start, he uh, this was a uh, Radio Row during Super Bowl week, he was calling it judo. Well, no, it wasn't judo, it was jujitsu. And he is taking lessons, he's still a white belt, but one of the main things they're teaching him is how to fall. You know, obviously it's one thing to fall in a gym where you're training with someone who's going at whatever amount of force that they are. When you're on a football field and you have a split second where you get hit and, and that split second to go down and, and hit the ground, that's a totally different animal and Tua recognizes that. He's trying to get to a point where falling becomes second nature and hopefully he can do it where, you know, this kind of motion mm -hmm. jerks back and hits the ground. Hopefully we're not going to see that in 2023 for anybody really. Um, 
I, I'm curious, Hal, because you, you have covered football and followed football for a long, long time. Uh, and look, the NFL certainly has its critics, rightfully so, uh, as far as some of this stuff is concerned. I, I really believe that they care very much about player safety. That doesn't mean that every decision is a perfect one. There are different teams who have to make different decisions about different players. But whether it comes to all the money they're spending, they the league – um, in trying to improve the equipment, this new helmet that quarterbacks apparently are going to uh, wear this year. We'll see if that makes a difference. I give them credit at least for trying. I'm curious, all the football you've watched, and here we are in a draft where from, you know, to his alma mater, you've got another quarterback who uh, in stature is built very similarly to uh, Tua, even smaller than Tua. Um, has his size, which... You know, now he's been injured a number of times. Would that scare you off drafting Bryce Young? Um, it it might, but you know, as you were asking the question, Tom, I, I'm thinking back. You know, Drew Brees wasn't the tallest quarterback. You know, size size doesn't mean everything. I it I'm reluctant to take one player and related to other players because it's not always a direct match. And I'll give you one example of what I'm talking about there. Josh Allen, you know, he came in, was a guy who was not very accurate, and there still are concerns about ball security. I get that. But if you ask most teams, would you like Josh Allen on your team? Obviously, they'd say yes. Well, we're going through the same thing now with Anthony Richardson. And, and a lot of people have the same questions. And some people are coming up with the same answer. Well, yeah, you got to jump on Richardson because look at Josh Allen. You don't want that to blow up in your face if you bypass the guy. It's hard to know. If, if this were a perfect world and we knew everything about how guys were going to turn out, including Young, then there would be no mistakes. So, you know, it's, it's the eye of the beholder is a classic example, really. Um, you look at this offseason. I mean, the owner down there is not afraid to spend some money. Uh, you talked about Tyree Kill. Uh, they make the deal for Jalen Ramsey. They brought in Bradley Chubb. Um, you know, Tua, good Lord willing, uh, is healthy uh, with some weapons. What are, are the expectations right there in Miami? Go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Buffalo and let's see what happens. Uh, they are. That's what the uh, expectations are. And I would also throw in the Jets. Yeah, of course. Good this year in the AFC East, which leaves one other team in the AFC East we haven't talked about, oddly enough. Mm -hmm. um, now I go back to uh, a conversation we had probably a handful of years ago with Steve Ross, and uh, somewhere along the way, the subject of free agency and dollars going out uh, came up, and, and Steve jumped in, and uh, without even really being asked, he said, money isn't going to be an object if that's what you're asking. You know, you could say a lot of things if you want to be critical about Steve Ross, but one thing you can't say is that he hasn't given people under him the resources to put a good team together. Well, there's no doubt. Well, one thing we can be critical of Ross is he's a Michigan guy. So we'll just start <laughs> with that around here, up here in uh, OHIO. I, I'm kidding around. They named the business school, if I'm not mistaken, uh, thanks to his donation up there at the University of Michigan. Um, Draft-wise, no first-round pick. 
Uh, don't draft in the second round until the 51st pick. Uh, with that in mind, uh, what are the areas they're going to be looking at with the picks that they do have? Well, it's interesting because it's the second year in a row they don't have a first-rounder. Um, Chris Greer, the GM, is uh, not shy about trading for and trading away draft picks. Uh, at one point, I, I did the math, and I think he had traded either in or out he had traded more picks than he had actually used in their original position. Um, I'm looking at tight end heavily because, you know, Tom, Mike Kosicki uh, walked. He's now with New England. And there's a big hole there. You know, in, in some of the previous years, the Dolphins have had a handful of tight ends on their roster at this time of year. And uh, we even joked with Greer, you know, what are you just lo loading up on every tight end? And now they only have three, and Durham Smythe is the presumed starter right now. And he's a good blocking tight end, but they need a weapon at that position. And so, uh, you know, you, I, I think you have to look at that second echelon of tight ends because there are a few guys who are going to go in the first round, but then it's a very deep class. And once you get past those first couple of guys, that's where Miami's picked. I think is going to be. All right. Hal, we can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us this morning, and uh, hopefully we can catch up with you sometime again down the road once the season gets started. Thank you very much. Thanks, Tom. All right. Be well. Great to have him. That guy's seen a lot of football, man. I mean, you know, you, I could have asked him about every topic in the league, and he would have been on it. He is. He's one of those guys, and there, there, there are a number of them out there that they are totally tuned in to what is going on in the National Football League. I mean, you heard him even just kind of mention the one team here in the league we're not talking about here today. He could have talked about Belichick and his situation for an hour. I mean, he's that dialed in and has been for a long, long time. I, You know, look, you look at Miami, and we've tried to cover a number of teams leading up to the draft. Got a couple of more tomorrow. We're going to talk about the uh, Eagles and the Steelers tomorrow. Um Miami's a talented team. They're going about it in a very different way than most other teams. He just mentioned, and I think, they're, I think they're a fascinating team to watch because of the way they're building their team. Uh, most teams go out and try and build it through the draft, and they've done some of that. Uh, Tua was a draft pick, for example. But the rest of the team, they're making trades, uh, now, the, one of the reasons that he did not mention, one of the reasons they don't have a first-round pick is because they got killed on tampering charges for both Tom Brady and Sean Payton. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's not like they're just in the habit of, of giving away first-round draft picks. They got hit and hit hard, rightfully so, by the NFL uh, for the Brady thing two years ago, the Payton thing, so on and so forth. But – you know, that Miami team that started the year last year when they were healthy, that was an exciting football team. They were piling up points. They got weapons everywhere. Their defense now with Fangio, uh, I think they're a team to watch. Agree or disagree? I agree with you. I think, uh, I think their team is very underrated. Um, I think they will definitely compete for their division. Um, I think... If they can just find one more piece to solidify their defense, 
I think they 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 have true championship quality, a true championship quality roster because that offense, man, it it is just deadly. You can't cover two. You can't cover Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle one on one. You just can't, and it it just you got to double cover them both, and that leaves everyone else to run around wild and free. Studio is falling apart. What's going on over there? You hear that? You hear that? Do I hear it? I can only hear out of one ear and I can hear it. I don't know if anyone else in the chat can hear it, but it sounds like there's some construction like right above us. We've had a leak above the above our heads here, so maybe they're fixing the leak finally. <laughs> maybe. That was strange. Anyway. All right. You know, I look at that Jalen Ramsey trade, though. Now, for, they literally are right outside. I can see the workers walking by. Uh, there's something going on. They're tearing up the sidewalk, I think it is. They've been do fixing all the sidewalks. Oh, so that's here. outside. That's not above us. That's outside? Yes. It's right okay. right behind you. Literally right behind you. On the other side I of that uh, cement block wall. Um, I got to tell you, Ramsey's a guy I would have gone after if I were the Bengals. They all say right. they need cornerback help. You are a franchise trying to win right now. And when I say win, I mean win the Super Bowl. Third round pick for Jalen Ramsey for a year. I'd have made that move. I would have too. It's only you would be doing it for a year rental. but That's exactly right. But I think it's all, all worth it. Could you imagine a Wouzier, Cam Taylor Britt, Jalen Ramsey, Hilton, secondary. Hilton. That's. Uh, I mean, you you're talking about getting after it now. That's a no fly zone. Ooh, how about that? I wonder how much the Bengals talk about trades. You know, we talked about that thing yesterday uh, about the proposed trade uh, for every team in the league that was on ESPN.com. It's great, great piece. And I always wonder, you know, if, if you're sitting in the Bengals' office, there's no doubt someone down there, Duke Tobin or somebody, right, was kind of told about this thing. Do you think those guys ever react to anything like that and say, you know what, I know it's somebody else's idea. God forbid it's a writer's idea because you hate the media, right? But I wonder if they read something like that and they say, wow, that might not be a bad idea. And for those of you that weren't with us, it was basically, you know, the Bengals trade away Jonah Williams uh, and, and flip-flop picks in the first and third rounds with Tampa Bay. Send Williams down there where he could restart his career. They move up to, I think it was 19th from 28th in the draft, right? And they move up, you know, 11, 10 spots. Uh, in the third round, same thing with Tampa Bay's picks. Do you think that Duke Tobin and those guys look at that or Katie Brown, Blackburn sit there and they think, huh, not a bad idea? I mean, I, I would sure hope they would. Um, I think, I don't, I don't know. I would like to think that they're not that um, full of themselves to, to not take advice from other people. That's how I would look at it as advice. And sometimes when these writers write 
these trade scenarios or, you know, they come up with these ideas, some of it is based off of truth. Some of it is based off of some things they've heard around the league. So I don't know. I would at least have thought that maybe they would have contacted Tampa Bay. You know, I'm sure they've gone around the league and talked to every single possible team about a trade for Jonah Williams. But maybe the, the article is just valuing Jonah Williams more than, than you know. Yeah, than actually what is real Yeah, the out is on the street. Uh, Ronnie points out in the chat, said, I believe they should trade Jonah Williams. He has a little value. I, 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 I definitely think that, that Jonah Williams has value. He's been a four-year starter in this league. Um, last year, he did not start off well. When he played, it wasn't great. We know that. But, again, you know, he played through uh, a dislocated kneecap, didn't miss a snap. He kept grinding, kept playing, shows you he cares. He shows you he cares. We have baseball players coming out of games with a bruised thumb. How about that dude, by the way? I meant to get into this yesterday. How about the hockey player the other night? Did you see that story? 75 stitches. Guy gets whacked in the head. He goes into the locker room. They give him 75. Not 7. Not 5. Not 15. Not 55. 75 stitches. Guess who's coming back? <laughs> Same game. It's incredible. I had, I've had stitches in my hand before, and I had 10 of them, and that was just annoying to deal with. Like, I, I couldn't imagine playing through. Like, you could wrap up, but this is like your head, right? Like, you're, yeah, I'm, <laughs> 75 stitches in your head is, is a lot. Uh, that's a lot, man. I mean, a that's lot. a serious, serious open wound. 75 stitches. And he went out there and played some more. <laughs> that's unbelievable. <laughs> Real dudes. And I'm not picking on anybody here. I'm going to ask Tracy Jones about it here in a minute. But you look at that. And you look at what some... Uh, Jonah Williams, easy guy to beat up on. Do whatever you want. Say whatever you want. Dislocated kneecap and doesn't miss a snap. Those guys are gamers. Gamer. What's the worst sports injury you've ever incurred, Tom? You know, the one that was what what turned out to be the, the most severe one, although it's certainly at the time, I was doing a playoff game, a baseball playoff game. And many will remember this play. It was Jermaine Dye, right? He's at the plate. Outfielder for the Oakland A's. Hell of a player. Had a great career. Um, and you know, like, like you see, if you're a fan, broadcaster, whatever, you see it every game, at least once, maybe more, where a guy swings, fouls it off his leg, fouls it off his foot, fouls it off whatever, right? And he limp around. You know it hurts like crazy. They limp around. They give him a little extra time. Trainer might come out and talk to him. And, uh, and, and right back in the batter's box, they go and on we play. Jermaine Dye fouls a ball off, and it's the exact same thing. 
Well, come to find out, he ends up having to leave in a game. He broke his leg in three places. Three places on a foul ball. Um, some of the hits in football, though. You just can't believe. You know, and all of you, you watch the Bengals every week. But, you know, when all the years, 25 years, I did the NFL, and, and it was before they had changed some of the rules on kickoffs and that kind of thing, when guys are flying down a field, um, some of the hits are just – you just can't even believe a guy gets up. You can't believe it. Somebody made the analogy, and it's been said before, if you want to know how a football player feels on a Monday morning, go put – shoulder pads on go put a helmet on and then go out to your garage and close a garage door and from about 15 yards maybe 50 times just run as fast as you can and run into the garage door get up and go back and do it again do it about 50 times and see how you feel the next day I don't know what garage door you got, but well, mine wouldn't I, make it. But I, I you know say. what I'm saying. <laughs> that's I mean that's the analogy I've heard before. Um, uh. Man, these guys just get killed, and and how they get up, I, I have no idea. What's the worst one you've seen? You seen one in person that was bad? Uh, I'm trying to think. I, I mean, I've seen a couple of guys tear their ACL. Yeah, uh, seen a lot of that. I've seen that in high school. Uh, yeah, yeah. I've, I've seen a couple of guys tear their ACL. Um, I'm trying to remember. Oh, actually, yeah, there was there was one um, that we had. Uh, I was doing a soccer game, and a guy went up to head the ball, and a guy kind of undercut him and needed CPR on the field. Oh, boy. A, it, they, I mean, they brought the ambulance out. It was really, really scary. That's the, that's the worst injury I've ever seen uh, like at a live game that I've ever seen. I mean, you were at the Demar Hamlin yeah, game, so I, I, you'll that one trumps yeah any any experience that I had. But I will say this, Dollar Majority. Yeah. When I was in fifth grade, but before the Demar Hamlin thing, when I was in fifth grade, we were playing this team. Had no business playing them. We we uh, were just killing them, right? They had a quarterback, a starting quarterback that was a girl. I didn't know this. I thought it was just a kid relatively my size that had long hair playing quarterback. You did not know it was a girl. I did not know it was a girl. And I tell you what, I probably just speared her. I, I, I speared her so hard straight into the ground, I broke her collarbone in fifth grade. I hit her so hard on a blitz. Casey. Case. This was like one of the first oh, times I got man. to play linebacker. I had no idea. I had no idea. And they had to air care. You oh, air cared a girl? Yeah. Yeah. Casey, you know, it's it's okay not to tell every story. <laughs> well, that's the, that was the most dramatizing injury before DeBar Hamlin. You you life flighted a girl. Well, they didn't, they didn't know, they didn't know what was wrong. They didn't know what was wrong with her because you know the collarbone. You can't like they back then they. Didn't oh my know, God, like, Casey! So young and wow. 
And how old were you? I was like in fifth grade. So I was like okay. 11, 12. All right. I'm not sure that makes it any better, but at least you were. I had no idea. I, the only time I knew, the, when I finally figured it out, was when she took off her helmet. And I was like, oh, uh-oh. Whoops. <laughs> Oops. And the team never let it down. That not if Tomas and this was before transports, so this was a general. This was a girl. Yeah. Okay. And and if Thomas is in the chat, he can back me up on it. uh, On that story, it's uh, one of the craziest experiences I've ever had playing. Being the direct person responsible for an injury is very dramatizing i'm sure it is i bet i mean i feel bad enough when i'm pitching and i hit somebody with a pitch that's just like a bruise to the thigh every time i see someone get hit with a pitch i go it doesn't matter what it is it could be like the simplest like just off the arm i just go richard uh stite says now we know why casey bans people from the chat straight (laughs) sadistic I'm a mean guy. What can I Boy, say? I mean, they are lighting you up, and Tomas is not here to come to your defense. No, he's not. Of hitting Casey Tough Guy McAllister, says Sir Boy Wonder. Lighting up a girl in fifth grade. I didn't know she was a Sending girl. her into an ambulance in fifth grade. Life flight. Have you ever met her since then? And also, I mean, seriously. No, I have not. I don't know who she was. Maybe she's watching the program right now. What if it was Alex and you just never knew? No. (laughs) (laughs) I did one time, me and Alex were just play fighting, and she tried to, like, jump, do, like, a jump kick, and I just grabbed her and flipped her on accident. Casey, what is going on? Flipped her into what? The floor? Yeah, hardwood floor. Onto the floor. Hardwood floor. Hardwood floor. In your new place? Did this happen recently? No, no. This was, like, early on when we were dating. Well, I tell you, there's nothing like trying to impress somebody than flipping them on a floor. But obviously, she hung around. Maybe yeah. there was some damage done to her in that, which kept her around. Yeah, right? She, she might have scrambled a few a eggs or something. I don't know. <laughs> Casey. Oh, my God. I mean, Tracy Jones will be laying in the weeds for this. <laughs> uh, as it's pointed out by Alex, Alex just jumped in. So thank you, Alex. She says this is E. No, no, no. This is different. different oh, Alex. okay. Different. Alex okay. Wallace. Okay. All right. I'm sorry. I just saw Alex real quick. All right. Alex Wallace says this is easy material for the tracer. And that it is. Boy, Casey, you are just getting sliced and dice on this uh, chat. Oh, there's Alex. You know, a lot of people have pointed out uh, about worst injury. You know, the, the, the one that probably has gotten the most uh, pub on television, um, outside of the DeMar Hamlin thing, was the Joe Theismann injury. Well, oh, yeah. I, I was going to say the, the one I can remember watching live, because Joe Theismann was before me, was the Kevin Ware injury. Yep, from that, the yeah, yeah. I watched that live. And the Tim Crumry injury in the Super Bowl. Yeah. Alex Bengals. Smith? Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Tim Crumrise was bad. Theismann's was bad. No one's was as bad as Alex Smith. They nearly had to cut off his leg. Right. You know what was crazy about that? I'd love to get that guy on the program. 
I, I, I've met him a number of times when I was doing NFL games, and I have seen him a couple of times since getting out. Uh, that's a guy that one day will be a general manager in the NFL. He is a sharp dude, man. So you were starting to say about him? I, just that the coincidence, I don't know if you remember seeing this. I do because it was just so crazy that Joe Theismann and Alex Smith both got injured on the same day on like the same play at the same time. Like a lot of coincidences, the same injury. That, both that, as, as Redskins quarterbacks. Yeah. Yes. That's right. It was very crazy. That's right. Uh, anybody else here? Um, oh, Alexandria did jump in. Yes, she did. Casey knows I can handle myself. And with that in mind, we have to get to Tracy Jones. Tracy, welcome. Good morning. Uh, Good morning. I don't know if you were able to catch any of the last five, seven minutes of the program. Did you see any of it before you jumped on? No, I was actually working. Go ahead, Tom. I did. What, what did I miss? I want Casey to share this story with you because I think it's very, very important. Both stories? That we get your reaction. No, I want you to start with the first one. We'll get to the second one in a minute. Okay. We were talking about, Tracy, the worst injuries uh, that oh. we've seen in a sporting event, okay? And Casey... Yeah. I uh, wanted to add this, Casey. Yeah, so I I wanted to talk about the worst injuries that I'd given to, to players. And in fifth grade, we were just killing this team in football. And the quarterback um, was just wide open on one play. And I was playing the linebacker position. And I just speared this player straight into the ground. Immediately started. She started screaming. She. Ah, 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 you're using pronouns now. Before you got to the punchline, so go ahead. She ended up being a girl. The quarterback was a girl. In the fifth grade, she got life flighted. Tracy. And she. She apparently broke her collarbone. There was maybe a possible like other damage, and they had to life flight her out there, uh, out of off the field, and. That was kind of. Wait a minute, hold on. Who in the so hell Tracy, this is like long that? before Tracy. This is long before uh, you know uh, the Leia Thomases of the world. I mean, this was a female playing uh, against boys, a, a female female, and, and 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 our buddy here, Casey McAllister, off he goes, sends her to the hospital. Your thoughts, and I'm sure you have them. <laughs> If if I was Alexandria, listen to that story. I would I would be on guard. Uh, well, we're going to get to that in a minute. But could <laughs> yeah. you give us? Just I think your that's thoughts? a cheap shot. Yeah, I think it's a cheap shot. And when you talk about spearing someone, first of all, that's illegal in football. You can't spear anyone, so you really it was a cheap shot. And to sit there with a smirk on your face, Casey, very disappointed in you. Very. All right, that brings us to the next chapter of this saga. Okay. Casey, All right. please. You brought up Alexandria. Yeah. It's funny well, you should. Casey? Well, well, I forget exactly what led up to it, but I brought up the fact that Alex, my fiance, and I were play fighting when we were dating early on, and she tried to jump kick me. 
right? We, we were, you know, just sparring a bit. And she jumped up. <laughs> what just tried to, tried to kick me. Sparring. And, and I grabbed her foot and quite literally flipped her onto the hardwood floor. She might have hit her head. She might not have. I don't know. She's still here. So, I mean, maybe she... Maybe she's okay. Maybe maybe not. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, I. What any thoughts on that story at all? Well, I, I think this is a disturbing conversation, and I really, Casey, I look at you and I don't see you as a violent person. But I have to question that. I mean, are you trying to uh, right, Tom? I mean, Casey, you're trying to keep your pimp hands strong. Is that what you're trying to do with the with these women? I mean, try picking on a man. Try picking on Paul. Well, I mean, a bigger, a stronger man than Paul, but one, someone like that. But it seems like you went around picking on women. Come on, Casey. It's better than that. Well, the, the first story, I didn't know that she was a girl. So I... Oh, oh, I didn't know. Okay. Right. No. Right. But, and, and I believe well, you when you say it. We yeah. all believe you when you say that. But but with I Alex, don't. I was defending myself, Tracy. I she attacked me. She jumped up and tried to kick me. It was just you never. Now listen, listen here, Jo, Hammenager, all the nicknames I call you. You never, never lay a hand on a woman, ever. Do you hear me? I hear you, Tracy. Case. I hear you, right. Tracy. I feel like I'm your big brother giving you some advice. I know you're not like that, but you got to win. You know, you start putting your hands on a woman. I like to refer this like a slippery slope. You know what I'm saying, Tom? Yes, yes, I, I mean, do. If you guys are doing, it sounded like you were doing dress up in the bedroom and it got carried away. And that sometimes happens, I think. And I think that's what we're talking about with the second story. Right, Casey? Um, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> it's always the silent one, Tom. There's no doubt about it. The quiet, silent type, you know, they they, they all of a sudden stuff starts coming out of yeah. the closet and, you know, out we Yeah, go. yeah. Uh, you know, we were talking about, though, um, and, and I got to ask you this question here, Tracy. You, you know, you were a great athlete. I like to remind people all the time. I mean, in the history of Southern California high school athletics, I mean, there can't be – Three, four, five guys, maybe all-time, better all-around athlete than you were. Tough guy, right? Football, basketball. And I played against, I, I played against boys. I played against men, not girls. So go ahead. Well, if there was ever an area that could be debated, it was where you grew <laughs> up. But, uh, but nonetheless, we, I don't mean to digress. Yeah. But yeah. here's what I'm getting at. And this is not taking a shot at anybody in particular. I'm just using it as an example, Okay. How is it that a hockey player, I don't know if you saw this the other night, two nights ago, guy gets whacked in the head. They take him into the locker room. They give 75 stitches to his head. 75, right? Jonah Williams, left tackle for the Bengals last year, dislocates his kneecap, does not miss a snap. And you've got baseball players taking a one-hop ground ball off the shin. And, oh, we better get him out of the game. What in the heck is going on with baseball players compared 
to athletes. Tough okay. guys. Let, let, Hockey yeah, and let, football. Let, my well, son takes my son all 150 pounds of him. The reigning Ohio lacrosse goalie of the year takes <laughs> multiple perfect. 90 mile per hour shots off his shin from half the distance that a major league mound is to the plate and is still in there. What is going on with baseball players? Okay, let me educate you, Tom and Casey and Paul, because you guys never played the game. <laughs> Baseball's a different animal. Okay, first of all, someone should be watching hockey players and how they get out, get up and going after an injury is LeBron James. That guy friggin' you push him over with a figure fingertip, he's out for the rest of the game, right? Very soft. Who? But what happened with whoa, 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 LeBron? Whoa. Listen, you can call a lot of guys soft. That dude ain't soft. Oh, he's I soft. mean, he's come always... on, come on, come on. All right, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, the you're talking about the Hunter Green injury, right? Right? That's what oh, yeah, and again, about. I'm not picking on Hunter Green because he's not the only right. guy where this has happened to. But I mean, right. but Tom, well, come on. Guy dives in the, the outfield here. grass. He's got to come out of the game. I mean, you know, come on. Tom, you're missing the point. It's Hunter Green. You're building an organization around this guy. This guy has problem with his leg. That might affect the way he's throwing his release point. Okay, might that's fair. Contribute to a sore arm, and that's, that's why you don't take chances with pitchers. Now, the position ball players, there were certain guys. I'm not going to name names, but he was. I played with him, and he'd sit out three games with a blister. A blister he sat out. I don't know if it was because Nolan Ryan, Mike Scott, and Danny Darwin were oh pitching boy. in the series. That might do it. Uh, uh, but, yeah, yeah, that'll do it. Couldn't play with a blister. And I remember sitting in the outfield, and Paul O'Neill came up to me. He says, you know, he says, what are you doing? You're not you're not playing today. I said, oh, yes, I am. He says, no, so-and-so's playing. He's got a blister. You know what? He didn't play that series. Missing a ball game with a blister. And here's the funny part, Tom. In batting practice, he had four home runs because I was watching. But had a blister and didn't play. Mm. That that That's a little rough for me, you know, because I was kind of hard-nosed. But, yeah, that player, very soft. But a good player. Good player. All you right. Let me – I want to shift gears to a serious note here for a second. I made the comment at the beginning of the program, okay, and look. You put everything into context, right? Okay, the Reds are not expected to be very good, although I, I, I think they have played an exciting brand of baseball, and, and they've been yes, relatively fun to watch. All right, they're 7-11, they're and 11, I think it is. They, they slipped into last in the division last night. They're playing a team that is a mirror image of them, starting tonight in the Pittsburgh Pirates. The Pirates are 12-7. and seven. Nobody believes it's going to last. Time will tell. Um, but, you know, you know, in most series, the Reds are going to be an underdog. In this series, you know, I, I think these are two equal teams, two equal franchises, two equal fan bases in terms of, you know, how many people come to the ballpark, blah, blah, blah. I agree. This strikes me as a kind of series, Tracy, where, okay, I'm just going to view it as a single four-game series. 
this strikes me as a series where the Reds and really what they're all about in terms of a mental makeup of a team is to go in there and be highly competitive in this weekend series. Is that fair to say? What is your definition of highly competitive? I mean, because I think you got to go are- in there. Splitting ain't going to do it. I mean, I you know, look, I think you've got to have your team, and they've got all the starting pitchers they want pitching in the series. They got everybody lined up, right? Weaver's pitching tonight, but they got Ashcraft, they got Green, uh, or Lodolo, uh, one or the other, uh, that are going to go in that series. So, you know, I, I just feel like, you know, go out there and compete this week but, against the Pirates. But Tom, don't don't you think they've com- they've been very competitive? They I have. Mean, if they would have had, if that bullpen would have done a halfway decent job. They would probably be three, four games over 500, right? So well, they're playing I agree. good baseball. They hustle. They got good defense, uh, running the bases, all that stuff. I, I think they're a better team than the Pirates. I've been pretty impressed with the Reds. You know, I had them losing 100 and some games. I think they're going to surprise a lot of people. The problem is you've got the three starters who are very good. It's that four-five guy. They've they've got to find something there to, for that mix because the th- first three guys in the rotation are very good, the bullpen. But as far as the position ball players, I don't find a problem with those guys. They play hard. I know that sounds corny. They p- kind of play like their manager did, very scrappy. And I, I like watching the Reds this year so well, far. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you 100% that they, they have played hard. They have been scrappy. You know, I just wonder if we're starting to see, because most people felt going into this season that – the biggest challenge was going to be their offense. Um, you know, India was great his first year. He was bad last year. Stevenson was hurt all the time when he's on the field, a good hitter. They had a bunch of guys that have started off red hot the first, you know, eight, nine games of the year, hitting far better than their bubblegum cards would tell you they will hit. Um, right. And now all of a sudden, some of that's coming back to earth a little bit. And I just wonder if now we're going to start to see what we thought we were going to see when the season began. I, I think it's great if this team finishes 500. I really do. I think well, that's no an doubt outstanding about that. year for this ball club. And I, actually, Tom, I think they could. I really do. But you make a good point. The Pirate Series, you go in there and you're thinking, we got to win three out of four games. The problem is the Pirates are saying the same thing about the Reds. Like you said, they're equal organization, equal talent, equal pitching. So they're thinking the same thing. So, so we'll see. I'm, I'm going to say something that you guys probably have never heard before. Write this down, Tom. Okay. It's a long, it's a long season. You ever okay. heard that expression, Tom? Well, I'm going to write it down now. Okay. <laughs> it's a long, long season. season. Okay. You know, we're actually 11.1% through the season already, if you can believe that. Kind of crazy, isn't it? Well, you must have pulled out the calculator when you were adding up all your checks coming in before you slipped that deposit slip. I just saw saw that on Twitter, and I thought I'd just throw that at you. A little useful information. Useless information, I should say. I think it's very, very good information. 11.1% through the year, you said? Hey, listen, can I just digress a little bit on this because Whatever I've got you want. something. In- well, Tom, this is really tough for me to say. I was wrong about being wrong. 
and I think this takes a lot of courage on my part to come forward with this. I don't like the pitch clock. I'm sorry, I don't. And I'll tell you what happened. Remember, I didn't like the pitch clock, and then I said I was wrong. I do like the pitch clock. I was wrong about being wrong. Let me tell you what happened last night, Tom. You'll appreciate this. I get a call from Richard from Indian Hill. He says, hey, why don't we I'll come on over? I'll bring a, a, a bottle of, I don't, it's a bourbon, uh, Pappy Van Winkle bourbon. I, I don't know anything. It's supposed to be good bourbon. You guys might want to pull that uh, and tell me what, you know, how much it is. But he brings over some bourbon. Says, I says, what do you want to do? He says, let's watch a, a game that you have uh, on YouTube. It's a, it's a uh, YouTube has these old games, Tom, I don't know if you know, and you can pull them up and watch the game. So I pulled up a game, they just released it, 1988, April 29th, Riverfront, 29,833 at Riverfront, Mets against the Reds, Sid Fernandez against Danny Jackson. Okay. Oh, that's a good pitching matchup right there. Oh, Tom, I'm telling you, the game lasted three hours and eight minutes. And I cannot tell you how entertaining that game was. And you know why it was entertaining? And we've talked about this before. And this is something that we're not experiencing games nowadays. It's the broadcasters. They make it entertaining. Kiner and Tim McCarver. It was yep. game of the week. Yep. And I just thought to myself, What's missing in baseball now when I watch it or listening, I, I miss the storytelling. And I, I really do. Tom, what used to be a great storyteller. Your dad, Joe Nuxall. How about Vin Scully is probably rolling over in his grave because he could not tell stories because the innings are moving so fast. It's something that I think is really missing in baseball is the, the, the innings where the broadcasters tell you about the players, or maybe the players did this or that. I miss that in the game of baseball. And I think you would agree with me on that. And well, even your dad has talked about it. You know, it's interesting you bring that up because uh, Jim Day is a close friend of mine. Of course, does a great yep. job, you know, in a pregame and in-game, postgame um, with Valleys for the Reds. has been there a long time, does a phenomenal job. Great guy, cares, wants to be good. Um, and I don't sit down and watch, you know, for an hour, hour and a half, two hours, any baseball game, Reds or anybody else. I'm just, I'm just not doing it. Right. Um, and, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll pop in and out. Um, and the other night was the first time I had heard him give some kind of update or report while the game was being played. And I shot him off a text and I said, you know what? I said, dude, I said, I don't sit around and watch it all the time. I said to him, I said, but that's the first time I have heard you in a game do any report this entire year. And his response was, hey, man, with this pitch clock, got no time. Got no time to tell no time. the story he had with Joey Votto or the story he had with Joey Votto or the story he had with Joey Votto because he's joined at the hip with Joey Votto. Uh, but <laughs> you know, you bring up a good point there. I, I think there's some 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 validity to what you're saying. I, I mean, you really you really just made my whole point. It's kind of like theater of the mind with these broadcasters. And if you 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 two, the Hammonagers, they have no idea who I'm talking about. But Ernie Harwell, the yep. longtime broadcaster with the Tigers, great yep. storyteller. 
I mean, you just sit there and listen to a, a, a Tiger broadcast and Ernie tell story. How about Don Drysdale? How about Dick Emberg? How about some of these guys' great story? How about Bob Costas? You get none of that in a broadcast. Can you, Tom, don't you feel like you would be rushed to tell a story now, you know, a half inning into it? Well, I, th I think it's a combination of things. I think it's, it's, it's that. Uh, and I also think it's the infatuation uh, from a television production standpoint um, uh, of these analytics. I mean, you know, talking about, oh, that was 107 miles an hour leaving the back. Yeah, but it was an out. But it was an out. Okay. Right. It's a line drive to the right fielder out. Oh, he hit that ball harder than he did the home run back in the third. Okay. Well, do you want the 107 mile an hour out or do you want the 98 mile per hour three run bomb to the seats and right? Let me tell you, if I was a hitter, your choice like I mean, I know it's a tough choice for the analytics yeah, crowd. I, I you, oh, like man. Yeah, I want that 107. I don't care about that stuff as a hitter. I don't mind getting a duck fart into right field that drops in for a base Amen. hit. Amen. Right, Amen. Right? Amen. I just want base knocks. I don't mind. I don't care that I squared a ball up and it was right to the third baseman. I don't care about that. Give me some knocks. But I, I think you guys underestimate your importance in a baseball game. And I think that clock in baseball is nonsense. Okay. Well, that's that fine. For, it's fine nonsense. for the reason you're saying it's fine. But at the end of the day, the game is much better with a pitch clock. It's much we better. We disagree. All right. Uh, by the way, uh, you know, I, Paul has probably heard of Pappy Van Winkle uh, Bourbon. Uh, he has heard of it. And, I you know, I was just doing a little check in here, Tracer. I'm curious which one you yeah. got. They have one bottle here. You can pick up for a cool uh, $989. They have another you can pick up for $2,300. They have a set you can buy for $14,000. And then there's a, a, a two-pack you can pick up here for about $5,500. Do you know which vintage 15-year, 10-year, whatever it was that you had? You know, I, I don't know what Richard brought over uh, i think it was a 15 year in the drum kind of sell and, and the cheap bastard you know if you really want to go top notch i think it's 23 years but yeah i think You're this right, was right. only right 15 years I, I don't know it was fine get actually the stuff gave me a little bit of a headache what we did we ordered out <laughs> he actually uh had his Roll, rolls royce silver shadow and the his driver came and got us uh steaks at walt's hitching post so we really had a great evening I mean, we just sat there, and I'm surprised none of you guys said, Trace, how did you do? And it's not about me. I was one for four. Now, listen to this. One for four, uh, let off the game with a routine ground ball to Kevin Elster. Right. Beat it out. Yep. Sold second off Sid Fernandez, and the catcher was a guy by the name of Gary Carter. Have you guys ever heard of Gary Carter, Hall of Famer? And then after I stole second, Tom, I stole third. And you know what? There wasn't a damn thing that Gary Carter could do because I just stole two bases. And honest to God, this tied me for the league leadership in all of baseball with eight stolen bases. Do you know who I was stolen base? I was tied with a guy by the name. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of this guy, Ricky Henderson. So again, I didn't have this great game. I was just throwing my little two cents in. 
that I got a couple stolen bases and was tied for all of baseball in, in stolen bases. Well, no I, one can deny, Tracer, that uh, when you were healthy and then you had that devastating knee injury, right? Yeah. I mean, devastating oh. knee. Did you know it at the time that it was that bad? No, I didn't. I, I didn't know it was that bad until I went and I was in bed and I could not move to get out of bed. And I had to call Larry Starr and it took everything. My leg had blown up and it was just, it was just terrible. You, you know, know what, Tom, let, me ask you, you, let me ask you this because I'm being very serious when I ask this question. For those who don't remember, you're chasing a, a fly ball, right? And this is back uh -huh. when the, um, the, the bullpen mounds were in the field of play, right? They were there, you know, yeah. river front right there. And that's when you go, correct me if I'm wrong here, maybe it happened a step or two before that, but you were right in yeah. that general area is where this, this devastating injury occurs. Have you ever thought that you were part of probably a handful of plays that, that basically changed the game of baseball for making sure that those mounds are no longer in the field of play? Boy, I wonder. I wonder. But think about how stupid that was, Tom, to have a bullpen mound down the lines. Yep. Name me another ballpark. Chicago, Wrigley had it, right? I think Candlestick had it. But that yep. was about it, if I o remember Oakland, right. I think, had it for a while. Oakland? I think. I think. Yeah. It's just, it's really, I joke around about it a lot because I need to because if I think too hard on it I get rather upset I start sure. sweating and get a little upset but Tom do you ever think when you're in bed and you and Paul are just talking about you know life and that's do you ever do you ever talk about me and how how good Tracy Jones would have been if he hadn't got hurt does that conversation ever come up you know what I have to tell you and all BS aside this came up the other day uh I was somewhere at a sporting event and uh, high school sporting event, and your name came up, uh, and this guy says to me, it's a true story, says to me, yeah. he says, man, he said, you know, he said, I I've been watching your show, and you have Tracy Jones on, I remember him, you know, a little bit as a player, not a lot, he said, I went back and started hunting around a little bit, he said, man, that guy could have been a great big league player had he not gotten hurt, he's like, I didn't realize and you tell me if this is right or wrong, but I think it's right. He says when you were coming up with all those great players, Larkin, O'Neal, Cal Daniels, Stillwell, Sabo, all these guys, that you were the number three hitter in the lineup on those minor league teams. Number three I old was, I was, if you can believe that, those are some pretty good ball players. Really are. What a great farm system. But, yeah, you talk about what could have been. You know, a lot of people will say, you know, they'll say, what, how good Mickey Mantle would have been if he hadn't hit his knee on that sprinkler, right? And in the same breath, they'll say, well, what about Tracy Jones hitting his knee on that mound? Don't you hear that a lot, Tom? No, not as frequently, I have to admit. I have to tell you. <laughs> uh, not much. But I do hear yeah. a lot of people that knew your game and knew what kind of player you were that you, you, you would have been like off the charts. I hope that still doesn't bother you to this day. I mean, you kind of made reference to it, but I mean – you know, well, let, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. It really, I really start to, to think about it. What could have been when I'm drink, drinking that Pappy Van Winkle bourbon. You know what I mean? You have a couple shots of those. You actually become this great player. Yeah, I, I do. But, Tom, you know what? You really benefited from that because I got hurt and your dad did, too. Because I got hurt, I was able to do the show with you. 
and I was able to do the show with your dad for 25 years. If I had never gotten hurt, I would have F you money and I wouldn't even give you guys the time of day. I would never have met the Hammond Eggers. So all in all, it worked out. It did. Life is better for all of us. Yes, it is. It's better for all of us. Tracer, have a great weekend, my man. We'll catch you on Tuesday next week. All right, boys. Have a good weekend. Take care See of yourself. Tracy. See there Tracy. you go. He, uh, there he is. Uh, you know, he uh, Casey brings up a good point. You know, oh, Richard from Indian Hill just checked in. He said, to be completely honest, I brought a 12-year-old bottle of Pappy's to Tracy's estate and a six-pack of Wiedemann. You guys don't even know what Wiedemann is, do you? I've never had it. Beer. Cincinnati beer. Yeah. It was around forever. Must no. still be. Uh, Richard from Indian Hill says, Tracy drank the entire six-pack, and Danae was not happy with him. Mm. Wiedemann! You should know that, Casey. Westside Brew. Oh, is it? Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. Are they still around? Wiedemann. I don't know. Here it is. Wiedemann Brewery, downtown Cincinnati. They're back. Apparently, there is a big brewery and pub that just opened. Wiedemann's. Right down on Vine Street. So they are alive and well. They go back to Cincinnati in 1870. They have been around. I think that's pretty cool. I did not know that. Uh, a German immigrant, George Wiedemann, began brewing Wiedemann's fine beer back in 1870. It's in St. Bernard. How about that? The new brewery is in St. Bernard. So I'm going to have to go over and check that place out. I bet it's good. Yeah, of course, Sir Boy Wonder says it's better to drink... Uh, White Claws. <laughs> Apparently, Everett says they came out with a um, Bengals Super That's, Bowl beer last year. I thought year. that was Hudipole. Was yeah, that Wiedemann's? I, I thought that was Hudipole. Well, says here, I mean, you know, I, I, and I'm not saying everybody uh, is right. Uh, Richard from Indian Hill says Wiedemann is the best. Said so you got to try it. Uh, Richard says he'll come on the studio. We'll split a six-pack right here. Big Roger Bacon hangout, Matt Bailey tells us. So that's your crowd, Paul. It is. Yep. My, my uncle went there. Well, of course he did. <laughs> of course he did. Well, uh, that's all for today. Do we have a, uh, a um, cherry on top or no? We do. All it's right. Not, Let's have at it. It's not the most uplifting one, but it is newsworthy. Oh, it's not depressing, is it? Nah, it's not depressing. All right. But it's newsworthy. All right. Newsworthy it is. So while we were on the show, SpaceX launched... Uh, it did not go well. Ooh, that's not good. No. Oh, man, nobody in there. No, no. Oh, thank Unmanned. the Lord. Okay. Unmanned. All right. Okay. We would not have done that if it was manned. Yes, okay. All right. I'm Unmanned. Sorry to but hear they that. were trying. They had delayed that for a few days. Yeah, they were trying to get it because Elon Musk had talked about having, a, I think, a really heavy like payload on that. They were saying it was going to be tough to even just get it off the ground. So he's trying to spin it that it's a success that it even got off the ground and got into the air, but got about three minutes into the air and then. And then, uh, sorry to see that. Uh, during the show, big breaking news uh, at UC. Yeah. Ben Bryant has left the program. Yep. He is in the transfer portal. The starter of last year decided to come back for another year this year. Um, the other day, Coach Satterfield had said it's an open competition even going into the fall. Uh, Emory Jones and Ben Bryant, neither had separated themselves from the other. 
and he said it was wide open. Ben Bryant must not see it that way. Uh, feeling Jones would probably be the starter. So Ben Bryant in the transfer portal. So that's all for today off the bench presented by United Dairy Farmers. Thanks for joining us. Gentlemen, thank you. Yeah. We'll see you guys tomorrow. Have a great day.